do you know where your vegetables come from? And do you know the kind of chemicals they use in producing the vegetables you eat? Well, we see a lot of ultra-processed foods being sold as being healthy. When you look objectively at what they contain and the health impacts that we have seen with them, you find that they shouldn't even be allowed to do that. Imagine the following scenario for which, let's assume, you are doing your grocery shopping at the supermarket. You are standing at the checkout, and while you're waiting for your turn to pay, you take a close look at the items that are placed in the shelves just before the counter. What do you see? Chances are, it's a selection of chocolate bars, sweets, chewing gum, and other little snacks. You're tempted, and maybe you even add something to your shopping. Why am I talking about this scenario now? Because if you had taken the small chocolate bar, your decision to buy it would have been significantly influenced by the context it was presented in. Among many other things in this episode, we talk about how food environments influence our food choices and who the actors are that shape them, such as the food industry, governments or consumers. This is Food for Transformation. My name is Katie Gallus. I am a journalist, a moderator, and an expert on development policy. And I'm so happy to welcome you again to this month's episode. Today, we are asking once again a rather big question. How can food environments around the world be adapted to promote and facilitate healthy, sustainable, and equitable food choices for everyone? To dive into the topic, let's start with the most obvious question. What exactly is a food environment? Simply put, food environments shape what choices we make about our food and beverages. They are the spaces in which people make their decisions about food, such as restaurants, street food vendors, supermarkets or wet markets. But they can also be natural environments such as foraging in forests or harvesting produce from your own gardens. The decisions we take in these spaces consciously or unconsciously, affect what, how and where we buy, prepare or consume food and therefore strongly influence our dietary preferences. Let's take the situation at the supermarket again. You are waiting and that time is used to draw your attention to a product. It is placed right in front of you and offered in colorful and creative packaging. The labels may even emphasize health benefits or pictures make it look, you know, extra tasty. It's on sale and you decide to try it without realizing that it may conceal an unhealthy snack. This supermarket scenario is only one of many examples how food environments influence our decision making. This is important as in many countries people don't do their shopping at the supermarket. In Kenya and Zambia, for example, over 90% of all fruits and vegetables are purchased in traditional retail outlets, while modern supermarkets primarily supply to households in the top 20% of income distribution. Similarly, with a few exceptions, in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, the supermarket share is less than 1% of the retail market. However, supermarkets expand rapidly, and this happens from high to middle-income countries and from high-income communities to rural low-income communities. 
But whether it's at the supermarket, at local food markets, at home, or within the community, food environments exist everywhere. And yes, they influence people's choices every day. Imagine the enormous potential if these environments were used to guide people to healthy and nutritious food. In these so-called enabling food environments, healthy and sustainable food and beverages are the most available, affordable and desirable. They become the default choice, while promotional opportunities for unhealthy or unsustainable foods would be limited. However, the reality looks very different and it has never been easier to consume unhealthy foods. I think the first aspect here is because of the bigger and bigger role that industry is beginning to play in terms of influencing choices, the policy and regulatory environment then become very important. And these need to be supportive of people making the right choices. So here, a lot of advertising, for example, is actually not helpful. Not helpful in that there's a lot of things that is put forward as healthy when it actually is not. And so that policy and regulatory environment needs to actually regulate that and ensure that what is being used to advertise is objective and accurate information. This is Namukolo Kovic, the current president of the African Nutrition Society and the Director General's representative to Ethiopia for the International Livestock Research Institute. It's one of 15 CGIAR centers, which stands for Consultative Group on International Agricultural Research. Of course, it is not so easy to define what exactly is healthy or unhealthy. But unhealthy food products generally go hand in hand with too much sugar, fat, salt or the degree of processing. We've heard the term processed food a couple of times now. But what does this mean exactly? And what is the difference between processed and highly processed food? Processing food is as old as mankind and ensures better digestion or extended availability of foods. Through grounding flour and baking breads, grains become digestible. And through conservation with salt or sugar, food shelf life extends. Right now, 75% of global food sales are made up by processed foods, whose largest manufacturers control more than a third of the global market. On the other hand, highly processed foods such as sugary snacks and fast food go through a lot more modifications. They often contain a long list of artificial ingredients and can be high in added sugars, unhealthy fats and salt. Generally, they have high caloric values but relatively low nutritional value. For a healthier diet, it's therefore recommended that the majority of a diet contains natural or minimally processed foods like fresh fruits and vegetables. The more modifications a food has undergone, the unhealthier it becomes. The biggest amount of ultra-processed foods is consumed in high-income countries. But not only. For example, in East and Southern Africa, highly processed food accounts for more than one-third of the purchased food. We see a lot of ultra-processed foods being sold as being healthy when you look objectively at what they contain and the health impacts that we have seen with them. You find that they shouldn't even be allowed to do that. So science can provide that objective information. 
The other thing is for low income settings where production of the more nutrient dense foods is a challenge, then science there can make a contribution by providing solutions on production practices so that the nutrient dense foods, fruits and vegetables, animal source foods, legumes and nuts, so that they become more accessible. Studies show that about one third of the global population doesn't get enough important vitamins and minerals, like for example zinc, iodine or iron. Having these micronutrient deficiencies combined with high caloric intake is linked to issues like obesity as well as non-communicable diseases. Malnutrition manifests itself in three different forms, namely undernutrition, micronutrient deficiencies and obesity. All three forms of malnutrition remain a global challenge and can simultaneously affect one country, one household or even one individual. This means, for example, that an obese person can at the same time suffer micronutrient deficiencies. In a household, an obese mother can live with stunted children. Stunted means that a child is shorter than expected for their age as a result of chronic insufficient micronutrient intake. Worldwide, in 2022, over 22% of children under five years, which equals roughly for 148.1 million children, were stunted, while simultaneously 37 million children were overweight. In many low-income and middle-income countries, we are fighting the double burden of malnutrition, meaning the prevalence of under- and overnutrition at the same time. By 2030, the United Nations 2023 State of Food Security and Nutrition in the World, the SOFIE report projects that almost 600 million people will be chronically undernourished, while 1.5 billion people will be overweight or obese. Right now, there is no country in the world where obesity rates are decreasing. Namu Kolokovic therefore emphasizes how important it is to consider the context in which nutritional recommendations are made. This enables people to make positive decisions within the possibilities of their environment. When I think of where I am operating on the African continent, we only have a few countries that actually have guidelines. But I also see this to be an opportunity because it means The majority of the countries will develop theirs in the context of heightened attention to food systems transformation. I think if I look at the most recent guidelines that have been released in Africa, the Ethiopian ones and the Zambian ones, when you look at them, there's a lot more attention to the local foods, including traditional and indigenous foods. So that, to me, is a positive development because it means a lot of people, even in rural settings, can actually relate to even some of the images that are being used. So that is very important because if the guidelines look like things that majority of the population are not even able to access, then they won't even try because it just looks out of reach. The food industry sets the selection, the quality and the price of food. Therefore, it has an enormous influence on our food environments. Right now, the industry often uses this influence to capitalize on people's emotions, cultural influences or conveniences. 
Especially unhealthy and highly processed foods such as fast food, sweets or crisps are widely available. Next to the availability of food, there is another important factor that influences people's food choices. Whether food is affordable or not. For choices and for people to be empowered effectively, the food industry must play their part. I normally find that industry players usually talk about not being able to be more effective because the nutrition community refuse to engage with them. But I actually find this to be just an excuse because if you really think about it, the industry employs food and nutrition professionals that sit in the same classrooms as the public health food and nutrition professionals. So we sit in the same classrooms, we sit in the same conferences, we read the same literature. So there's really no excuse in saying it's because you didn't talk to me and that's why I didn't produce a good product. So it's really excuses. So I really want to push back on that narrative to say if industry was objective and following the evidence as we have it, they would be able to provide better products. But I think what gets in the way of objectivity is probably profits. In 2021, the cost of a healthy diet rose globally by 4.3% in comparison to the previous year. This increase of food prices especially hit lower- and middle-income countries in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and in the Caribbean. As of now, 3.1 billion people, which makes up about 42% of the global population, cannot afford a healthy diet. Most of those live in Southern Asia and in Eastern and Western Africa. Households in low-income countries spend as much as 75% of their total income on food. Therefore, reducing the price of healthy food makes it more accessible to a wider population, especially to those with limited means. However, a study showed that in the 20 years between 1990 and 2012, fruit and vegetable prices increased by 2-3% to per year while the prices of many processed and ultra-processed foods decreased. This was evaluated in the USA, UK, Mexico, Brazil, South Korea and China. So why is the unhealthy option cheaper? Because processed foods are often based on inexpensive raw materials that are mass-produced and have a longer shelf life than fruits and vegetables. The political framework also contributes to this as it's a strategy with the goal of maximizing profit rather than promoting a healthy diet. Another important factor is the convenience of food. The more convenient food is, the likelier it will be consumed. By 2050, nearly 7 out of 10 people are expected to live in cities. And even right now, it's around 56% of the population. Urbanization has led to the widespread adoption of affordable and often easily accessible processed foods. Shifts in the lifestyles and jobs with longer commute times are driving a higher demand for convenient and fast foods. This dietary shift is also happening in rural areas, though at a slower pace and to a lesser degree compared to urban and peri-urban regions. However, while having easily accessible food is often linked to a higher degree of processing, it is also important. People on low incomes are generally not only limited financially, but also in their time availability. 
The time needed to procure and prepare meals is a considerable burden and can fluctuate seasonally, so that easily accessible food is particularly important in busy seasons, such as harvest time. Therefore, it is even more important that easily available and convenient foods become healthier by default. We need to also ensure that we are providing high-quality, fresh and rich nutrient products to the people. It's very important ensuring that we really get a future where nutrition is easy for people. Not just people who are in the high class ranks, but everybody in the world has the right to assess healthy and nutritious food. We need to ensure at least, let's make it affordable, let's make it easy. This is Abdul Rashid Wumpini Al-Hassan from Ghana. He is offering a local solution on how natural and fresh foods rather than ultra-processed foods can be made accessible. He runs his own farms as well as his business called Umi Farms. Umi Farms is an organization or a company that engages in sustainable agroforestry and agricultural activities such as farming of vegetables and also sales of these vegetables to people from our farms to the doorsteps of the consumer. So at Umi Farms, we make it so simple and easy for people, no need for you to move from your office or the stress after work. So instead of moving from your office to the grocery store, you only need to contact us and you get it delivered to you at your doorsteps through our delivery service market. So Umi Farms combine both production and delivery as well. By providing information on nutritional values of foods and healthy recipe guides, Umi Farms also aims to educate people and enable them to make healthy food choices. Most people can see a product and they like it, but they do not really know how to cook it. So thereby we assist them sometimes with videos and pictures on how to process some of the vegetables and fruits or the cereals that we are producing for them to easily ensure all the nutrients are intact in the food that they are producing from our products. While local initiatives such as Umi Farms can support and enable the individual consumer to make informed food decisions, governments have the power to actively shape food environments through effective policymaking. For example, through standards on food accessibility, food labeling and packaging, marketing regulations, as well as taxation and subsidies. Another lever is setting nutritional standards in public procurement, for example in schools and public institutions. Measures such as health and nutrition programs at schools are associated with better dietary habits and a lower risk of lacking essential vitamins and minerals. For example, evidence from a meta-analysis at school meals programs across 32 sub-Saharan countries showed on-site meals combined with take-home rations increased the enrollment of girls by 12%. Let's travel to Burkina Faso to look at one example on how effective policymaking can look like in reality. Since 2020, the sub-Saharan country has updated a multi-sectoral national nutrition policy, which is backed up by a multi-sector strategic plan. It shows how all sectors need to work together to promote healthy eating habits. We have an initiative supported by the president of the transition, and this initiative is focused on the offering to every school age charge a balancing diet. 
And the objective we are looking for by implementing this initiative in the ground is really to improve school-age children's feeding and nutrition. And in the country, we have also developed a best practice guide to reduce salt and sugar consumption. And we have started three years ago a very big work related to food environment. And it consists to access policies and strategies that promote healthy diet so that we can scale up the best practices. Dr. Ella Campoare holds a PhD in human nutrition and has been the scaling up nutrition focal person for Burkina Faso since 2017. She also works as the focal person of the thematic and research program on food security and nutrition and as the general secretary of the African Federation of Nutrition Societies. In terms of the strategies used to ensure that food is available and affordable to all citizens, the government has adopted the production of taxes to regulate the production of staple foods like wheat, salt, and oil. And for this food, and especially for children, we made it mandatory to use an approved label on the can showing that the product is fortified with vitamin A. And we have also some regulation to promote the consumption of local product. And the government is really committed to, to encourage the consumption of local product rich in macronutrients. All of these measures showcase how policies can support healthy eating patterns and reshape food environments. However, Dr. Ella Campoare admits that there is still a lot of work to be done. Reshaping food environments is critical for the sustainability of our agricultural and food systems. This needs to get recognized internationally as well as locally. So how does the way forward look like? On the African content, I think one of the ways of empowering would be creating greater awareness for nutritional value of some of our traditional and indigenous foods that can actually add to better diet diversity, which for the most part have been neglected from the developmental perspective. And these are really important part of our toolkits for better diet, especially at the local context. So we need more efforts there. Unfortunately, we don't have sufficient regulation of health and nutrition claims. And it means that Product developed with nutritional and health values are not enough regulated. And at the moment, we don't have also strong regulation to ban the advertising and promoting of unhealthy foods like sugar-rich foods. And we are also in the way to work to improve the controlling of the message through the various media. It's a collaborative effort. If we are able to have a lot of people joining this campaign for transformative and also sustainable agriculture through the agroforestry systems, then we can move a motion or we can move a force that will help us to transform the policies to unsustainable farming. 
but if I am the only person, Rashid is Abdel, Abdel in Ghana is doing it alone, and another person in Kenya is doing it alone, another person in Nuremberg somewhere is also doing it alone, the goal of changing and transforming policies will never be achieved. So we need a collaboration and collective effort to work towards transforming global policies on food security. This was the fifth episode of Food for Transformation. We showed how food environments shape our eating habits and which critical role the food industry, the government and the consumers play in our food environments. We had a look at the African continent, where dietary habits change quickly with increasingly available and desirable ultra-processed foods. We traveled to Ghana to discover local solutions to making food more convenient and educating people to make healthier food choices. And we've learned which policies exist in Burkina Faso that support sustainable and healthy food environments. See you all in the next episode, where we learn about innovations and technologies in agriculture, what potentials they hold and with what challenges they come along. I see you soon.